We are in a series of teachings that's going to take us through the season of Lent on humility. And last week we started this series. And as I mentioned last week, this series is going to be good for our souls, but painful for our false selves, the size that we try to project out into the world. And last week we had a confession. Every week we're going to have a, a confession of humility to help us see the various facets of humility because it's such a multi-layered topic, a multi-layered word. And so we wanted to have nine weeks to explore the various facets of it. Last week out of Philippians 2, I mentioned that the confession of humility is nothing is beneath me. Nothing is beneath me. Today's confession that's going to flow out of Luke chapter 18 is very simply, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Humble people recognize their need for mercy. Proud people don't. Humble people recognize their need for mercy. Proud people don't. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse number 9. You can follow on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, speak to us now through your spirit. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Last week I mentioned that I've been studying the sayings of the Desert Fathers for about 20 years. The Desert Fathers are a group of men and women who in the first few hundred years of Christianity would flee into the desert to pray, would flee into the desert to spend time in silence, would flee into the desert to be in solitude. And in so doing in their prayer, in their silence, in their solitude, they would learn much about what it meant to be humble. There's one story in particular that gets at what humility is, and I love it because it's a picture of our own lives. You can follow with me on the screen. There's a story told of Abba John, one of the desert fathers. It says, Abba John, a wise man in the desert community, was sitting one day in the midst of the brothers who were asking him about their thoughts related to faith. He gave a reply to each of them when another old man said out of envy, John, your soul and everything about you is full of poison. Abba John replied, you're actually right, brother. 
That's exactly what's in me. And you make this observation because of what you see on the outside. You would say much, much worse if you could only see what I'm like on the inside. Now, when we hear this story, we got to locate ourselves in it. And the story shows that humility is about having a proper estimate of yourself. Humility is about having a proper assessment of yourself. Abba John, of course, would have many virtues, but he still knows that he has sin and weakness and limitations in his life. And even so, he embraces all of who he is. You see, humility is not about thinking badly of yourself. Nor is humility about refusing to name and own the gifts that you have. Humility is about having a right assessment of yourself. A right estimate of yourself. It reminds me, a few years ago, I used to teach preaching at Nyack College and Alliance Theological Seminary. I remember I would teach the people who I was, who was preaching that whenever someone gives you a compliment, just say thank you. Just say thank you. And there would be certain people who have very difficult time just receiving any compliments to say thank you because they would feel that to say thank you was somehow a proud thing. And so I would say, just say thank you. And so someone would get a compliment and the person would respond, it was all God. The next week, great job. And the person would respond, it was all God. And I would just say, just say thank you. Just receive it. Own the gifts. Another person would say, it was all God. And it got to one point that I was so irritated. That I said, great job, and the person said, it was all God. And I said, wait a second. I said, if it was all God, it would have been much better than that. (laughs) It wasn't my best pastoral day, I want to tell you right now. To name and own all that you have is not humility, is is not a sign of pride. But to name the mixture that you have inside of you is a sign of humility. And all of us are filled with mixture, good and bad, love and hate, compassion and judgmentalism, virtue and vices. We are filled with mixture, and because we are filled with mixture, that's the reason why we need mercy. We're filled with mixture, and that's the reason we need mercy. There are times where we're just so inconsistent. We do not live up to the standards that we set for ourselves. And because of our mixture, because of our inconsistency, we need mercy. And so this story is a story about mercy. A story about confessing the need for it. And Jesus begins this parable by taking us into the sanctuary. When he tells this parable, he begins by giving us the context out of which this parable is to be understood. And he says that those who are confident in their own righteousness, this is who he addresses the parable to. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, good, this message is not for me, but I know enough people who are confident in their own righteousness, and so I'll make sure to pass 
the link over to them when it's available tomorrow afternoon. But every time God's word comes forth, it comes forth first for us, not for somebody else. You ever been in church and I go, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. Uh, So-and-so, no, no, we all need to hear it. God's word comes to us first and then to other people. And so Jesus gives us the context to some who are confident in their own righteousness. This is who he addresses this parable to. And he goes on to say that there were two men who would go into a worship space like this. And the first person would be a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, typically, when we hear about Pharisees, we judge Pharisees. Whenever we hear about Pharisees, we want to kill Pharisees. Whenever, if someone calls you a Pharisee in kind of the Christian land, that's like the biggest uh, diss you can give someone. You're a Pharisee. Well, excuse me. Because it speaks about legalism. We think it speaks about uh, duplicity. We think it speaks about a self-righteousness. But Pharisees back in the day were good people. They were good citizens in the community. They didn't rob banks. They didn't cheat people. They didn't commit adultery, at least in uh, the physical and literal way. They were religious leaders. They were leaders of the PTA. They were leaders of the civic and association and the community board. These are people that you would want as your neighbor. Just good religious people. And what the Pharisees wanted to do ultimately was not to compartmentalize their life. They took the law seriously. They took the ceremonial washing seriously. In such a way where they said, it's not enough for the priest to be ceremonially clean. We need to be ceremonially clean as well. And whatever the priests do in the sanctuary, we want to do in our homes. And it was their way of saying, we don't want to segment our faith. We don't want to compartmentalize our faith. We want all of our faith to be holistic. These are good people. We would want them as our neighbor. And then the story, Jesus says, he brings up another person in the story, which is a tax collector. And if you want the Pharisee as your neighbor, you don't want the tax collector as your neighbor. The tax collectors are despised because they were Jewish people who were working for the Romans against their relatives. And so imagine if you have a cousin, imagine if you had an uncle. And they were now working against you to defraud you, to, to tax you, and then take extra for themselves. These were the tax collectors of the day who were despised. And so Jesus sets both of them up. They're both in the sanctuary, and it's time to pray. The Pharisee gets up, and it says that he stood by himself and prays. Now, he stands by himself not because he's an introvert. He stands by himself because he's too good for everyone, even God. The text says, it's a literal reading in the Greek language that it says that he began to pray and he prays. The word is, he prays toward himself. Another way of saying it is, he prays to himself. And he begins the prayer like this, God, I thank you. That's a good start. The prayer is off to a good start. God, I thank you. And then it goes downhill from here. I thank you. That I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. He has so internalized 
his own sense of superiority based on his religious practice. He says, I fast twice a week and I give 10% of everything I get. He comes to church impressed with himself. And he looks out for people who are less than him so that he can feel better about himself. Now, whenever we read the Bible, it's important to locate ourselves in the story. And the first person we need to locate and identify ourselves with is this Pharisee because we are in many ways like this Pharisee. There's something innate in us in which we measure ourselves against other people on a regular basis. We often size people up when we first meet them. And we do so in a way not just to analyze who's coming before us, but to position ourselves in such a way where we are comparing and finding ourselves a little superior to them. Just a couple of weeks ago, I met a number of pastors. And as I'm meeting these pastors, there's something innate inside of me that's already comparing myself to them. And I'm shaking their hands and I'm going, well, I'm taller than this guy. All right. <laughs> Shake another guy's hand. I have more hair than this guy. And that's not saying much. I want to tell you, it's not saying much. <laughs> and I'm seeing all the ways that uh, I'm better, I'm taller. And, and all the ways, oh, that guy's taller than me. Oh, that guy's really articulate, more articulate than me. And all of a sudden, I am now comparing myself to others. And we do that all the time. We go into somebody's house and we go, oh, my kitchen is better than this kitchen. I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> we get in somebody's car and we a lot, a, lot, a lot of that there. We go, oh, my car doesn't make that many noise. I feel pretty good about myself. And we are always, whether it's our, ourselves, whether it's our homes, whether it's our car, we are always uh, trying to measure ourselves against other people. But beyond just the, the, the comparing... The danger of the Pharisee is that he categorizes as well. And so he compares himself, but he also categorizes as well. And he has neat categories. Who's in, who's out. Who's holy, who's not. Who's righteous, who's unrighteous. Who's beautiful, who's ugly. And we all walk through life like this. Categorizing people, who's in, who's not, and we have a way of seeing people through the particular categories that we create, often based on the particular standards that we create. And so the question when we read this text is, who do you fill in the blank with? The Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not like robbers and evildoers and adulterers. The question is, who do we fill in the blanks with? Who do you fill in the blanks with? Who do you say, God, I thank you? And you might not say it out loud and you might not post it on Facebook, but in your soul, God, I thank you. I'm not like those Democrats. Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like those Republicans. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like an immigrant. I'm not a refugee. I'm not a homeless person. Thank God I'm not a Christian conservative. Thank God I'm not a Wall Street executive. We have a whole list in which we categorize who's in, who's out. And the danger of categorization in this way, when you create it in a way that creates superiority, what our sister Sandra was talking about, is whenever you categorize and create a system of superiority and inferiority, 
Now you can justify however you want to treat them. And so this is the spirit behind Nazi ideology, isn't it? That if you can see someone as inferior, as subhuman, you can justify however you can treat them. This is the ideology behind which we see anything that we, we, we group a whole lump, a, uh, lump a whole group of people into one category. And it is by virtue of that that we can justify however we want to treat them. We compare, we categorize. But beyond just the categorization and the comparing, in very ordinary, imperceptible, often insidious ways, there's a smugness about us. A smugness of superiority. And so you're at the restaurant and you order steamed vegetables and you're feeling good about yourself. And then the person next to you orders just loaded fries and everything else that's unhealthy. And you look at that table and you go, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you discover the health benefits of running and exercise. And you're feeling pretty good. You've only exercised for two days, but you're feeling really good about yourself. And you see people who haven't been to the gym in a long time, and you look at them and you go, mm, mm, mm. You buy a hybrid car. And because you're careful about the environment and then you get to a red light on Queens Boulevard and the person who pulls up to you has smoke and stuff coming out of their car and you just look at them and go, mm, mm, mm. You're on a plane and, and some kids start acting crazy and you go, my kids would never act this way. Mm, mm, mm. A couple of months ago, someone, an aunt of mine, she, she bought me a pair of Apple AirPods, just the AirPods, the, the wireless uh, AirPods. Pro. I, throughout my entire life, I've always had the headphones with the straight, the wire attached to them, my entire life. Just a, and she got me these AirPods, and I tried them on. They were fantastic. And I remember walking out my apartment building the first day with my Apple AirPods. And as I'm walking down the street, I see someone coming with the, the phone with the wire. And as I walk, I just go, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> You poor soul. Wow. It's 2020. Get with it. That's five minutes after I put them on. And so we have a way of comparing, we have a way of categorizing, and it is this smug superiority that we all carry. This is what Jesus is talking about with this Pharisee. And we all have a bit of this Pharisee inside of us. And so we're in the sanctuary and, and the cameras pan to that one uh, Pharisee. And then it pans in the other direction. And we see that in the other side of the sanctuary, there's another person. And as the camera just uh, zooms in, we see it's the tax collector. And the tax collector also stands by himself. The Pharisee stands by himself. But the tax collector stood by himself as well. 
But the difference in why they stand by themselves is important to note. The Pharisee stands by himself because he thinks he's too good for others and too good for God. The tax collector stands by himself because he thinks he's too bad for others and too bad for God. And in a given service like this here, we have some folks who think I'm too good for others and too good for God. And others who think I'm too bad for others and too bad for God. The Pharisee, he, the, the tax collector, he cannot even look up towards heaven because he is so dominated by shame. And you know you are dominated by shame when you, you can't make eye contact with someone about something you've done. You're just so riddled with guilt and shame. The tax collector just has his head bowed down and he's beating his breast. Shame. Guilt. This past week I was at a college in Massachusetts preaching. And after one of the services, I spent a number of minutes praying with about seven or eight different college students. And I sat at the edge of, of the stage there and one by one would come and I would pray with them and, and, and the vast majority of them would not just look at me in the eye. I'd say, how can I pray for you? And their head would just be down. I'd say, this is what I did. And this is how I feel. And I know what it's like to be in that position, head bowed to the ground. Not out of reverence, but out of shame. Look at what I carry. Look at what I do. Some of you come into church like that as well. You recognize the addictions you carry. You recognize the shame of your life. You recognize the ways that you've been sinned against and the ways that you sin. And you're like this tax collector. The tax collector bows down. But he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what Jesus does next surprises the religious sensibilities of those who would be reading this story. Because while the tax collector sinned against God and others, he's broken up by it. And Jesus sees the humble recognition and the state of his heart. And Jesus would treat both of these men differently. To the man who would beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me. The text says that Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, will go home justified. Now, the word justified is to be in right relationship with God, to have right standing with God. And this is very surprising. Why? Because the Pharisee looks justified. The Pharisee talks like he's justified. The Pharisee even lives like he's justified, but the Pharisee does not go home justified. And you know that you can look saved. <laughs> you can look righteous. You can talk righteous. You can even act righteous. But the ones who are justified are not the ones who can talk it and not the ones who can even walk it. The ones who are truly justified are those who recognize the depth of their need for mercy. And to those who would recognize and confess their need for mercy, God says, you will be justified. And you are made right with God, not because of what you can do or not because of what you say or how you look. You are justified because of God's mercy, saved because of God's mercy, renewed because of God's mercy, restored because of God's mercy, healed because of God's mercy. That man went home justified. 
And so at the end of the parable, Jesus kind of brings it down to the core and says, what is this about? What does it mean for us to cultivate humility? Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. What does it mean to be, have humility and flesh this out in this second week of our series? And a word is very simply this. Humble people are aware of their ongoing need for mercy. It's as simple as that. Humble people are aware of their ongoing need for mercy. The problem with the Pharisee is he believed that his goodness was a safeguard against his sin. And the challenge is his goodness actually strengthened the presence of sin. Humble people know they need mercy. Proud people are prone to self-deception. Humble people recognize their weaknesses. They're very aware of it. Proud people do not see their weaknesses. And it comes up so subtly. You ever watch TV? From time to time, I watch TV and I, and I see something happen, a, a bad decision by a leader or whatever it is, and I think to myself, how could that person do that? And then the next thought comes, I'd never do something like that. And I might not admit that to you, I might not never, but in my mind, I'm going, I'd never do something like that. And when I start saying those words, it's pride now that's infecting me. Because given the right circumstances, I might just do that thing. Given a moment of weakness, you just might do that thing. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just a couple of weeks ago, I heard of a pastor in California who I respect. I read all his books. And he made a really poor decision. And part of me was just, how could he make that decision? I spent a couple of days going, this man is smart. This man is God. How could he make a bad decision like this? And then it started going down. I'd never do something like this. And then I read the text. And I realized how pride had just gripped my heart in this moment. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee, because of his pride, killed any semblance of community. And that's what pride does. It kills any opportunity for community. It was Karl Barth who said it this way. When we confess our virtues, we are competitors. When we confess our sins, we are brothers and sisters. What if this Pharisee would have changed his prayer? And what if he said something like this? Lord, I fast twice a week. And I give 10% of everything I own. And I'm still no better than this tax collector. That's a different kind of prayer. That's a different kind of humility. And so the question is, is where do you find yourself in the story? The story ends with some good news and some bad news. The story is about a lot of looking down. The Pharisee looks down at the tax collector. The tax collector looks down on himself. But this is also a story about God looking down as well. The Pharisee in pride looks down at the tax collector. 
The tax collector in shame looks down on himself, but God in mercy looks down and justifies. The question is, which of these characters are you? For some of us, we are the Pharisee. For some of us, we've never lost an argument. But we've lost a lot of relationships. For some of us, we are always right. For some of us, we have no need to change. Everyone around me needs to change. And this is dangerous territory. And when we exalt ourselves in this way, we're actually humbled. And then there's some of us in this room who you're carrying the weight of shame on your shoulders, the weight of guilt on your shoulders, the weight of having a life that doesn't unfold the way you want on your shoulders. And to you, Jesus says, let me take that off your shoulders. He dies for us. He carries our sin. He carries our shame. He carries our guilt. And he offers us the freedom that comes in his name. The question is, which of these characters is marking your life today? And the invitation for us is for us to say, like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess this day that there's some Pharisee in us and some tax collector in us. Lord, help us to name our self-righteousness, to name our pride, to name all the ways that we go around comparing and categorizing with a sense of smug superiority. And Lord, also help us to locate the moments of our own soul when we're so burdened that we can only look to you. Free us. Teach us to pray this every single day. Lord, have mercy on me. And the mercy that we receive, may we give it to the world around us. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Let's all stand, let's sing together.
Let's have our prayer team come to my right. Invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right as well. And um, those who are offering the bread and the cup, just come over here so we can have some space for folks to pray. Who are you in the story? That's the question. For some of us, we have been fixed in our ways, refusing to admit any sense of wrong, refusing to see the errors of our ways. And when we are in that position, we are exalting ourselves. And the bad news is we ultimately get humbled. But for those who recognize their need for mercy, recognize how broken they are, and come to God honestly to receive his mercy, God offers it. And in that, in so doing, exalts us. One of the ways that we humble ourselves is by receiving prayer way of saying, I need mercy. And maybe you came in here with some challenges in your relationships, came in here just something going on in your life that you can't get over, and you need mercy from God. Our prayer team would love to pray for you and stay as long as we need to. And we also have the bread and the cup, where we are reminded of the extent of the mercy of Jesus Christ, that he would die for us, carry our sins, carry our guilt, carry our shame, and offer us newness of life, of freedom. And so we can receive the bread and the cup and receive prayer. For some of us who came into this room and this church service today, and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never asked God for his mercy in this kind of way. Maybe you've been driving and you say, oh God, have, Lord have mercy. Maybe you've said it that way, but you've never said it in a way where you realize I desperately need God I desperately need forgiveness I desperately need a new lease on life and if you're in this place today Jesus loves you with an everlasting love and if you're sensing something in your heart calling you to relationship with Christ our prayer team would love to pray for you and a simple prayer in your heart Lord have mercy on me I want to follow you it's in those little prayers that God begins to transform our very lives. And so if you're in that place, we'd love to pray for you or for whatever, whatever other needs you have. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And this is the posture of receiving out of which we give. We receive mercy in order to give it. So with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to, to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the immense mercy of God. And may you offer that mercy to the world around you. I bless you on the strong the beautiful and the merciful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.